Hello, I'm Drew Catt, Ed Choice's Director of State Research and Policy Analysis, and I'm joined today by Lindsay Burke, Director of the Center for Education Policy for the Heritage Foundation, an Ed Choice Fellow, and doctoral candidate at George Mason University, and Corey DeAngelis, Policy Analyst at the Cato Center for Educational Freedom, Policy Advisor for the Heartland Institute, and a Distinguished Doctoral Fellow and PhD student in Education Policy at the University of Arkansas. Welcome, and thank you for taking the time with us today. Thanks for having us. Lindsay, you and Corey are co-authors of a recent paper titled, Does Regulation Induce Homogenization? An Analysis of Three Voucher Programs in the United States. Before we get into your findings, can you start by telling us what inspired this research and how you went about studying this topic? Great. Well, thanks so much for having us. You know, it's uh, an important topic and something that we really grew concerned about. And I think this holds true for the larger community of folks who work on school choice. But we had really grown concerned about some of the findings that had come out of Louisiana, where despite the fact that the state has a large statewide voucher program, scholarship program in place, not that many private schools were participating. Only a third of private schools in Louisiana participate in that state's uh, scholarship program. And so a lot of folks had been asking why that might be the case. Could it be that the overly burdensome regulations that are in place in that state have led to lower levels of participation than we would otherwise want to see. Um, the other thing that really spurred us to think about this was the fact that out of Louisiana, we, we saw the first experimental evaluation ever in the whole wide world to find negative effects as a result of participating in a school voucher program. And that, I think, really caught a lot of uh, people off guard. It was a surprising finding to come out of Louisiana. And so, again, that underscored, is this a question of program design? Is it a question of the regulatory environment in which these programs operate that may be leading to some of these negative academic effects that we're seeing? And so that that was really the genesis of of our thinking. Um, And we really wanted to not only look at Louisiana, but some other states as well to to see how their uh, contrasting regulatory environments impacted uh, the diversity uh, of private schools that participate in those programs. Yeah, and just to touch on the methods a little bit, we looked at every single private school in Indiana, D.C., and Louisiana using the Private School Universe Survey, and we picked these three locations because they differ in their amount of of regulatory environment, Indiana being the most lightly regulated program and uh, Louisiana being the most heavily regulated program. So we took every single private school and... On the Private School Universe survey, they asked a specific question to school leaders, and it asked, what type of school are you? Are you a regular school, a specialized school, a non-traditional or alternative type of school? And you have to check one of these boxes as a school leader. And we theorized that if the private schools are switching into a highly regulated voucher program environment, they're going to be more likely to identify as a regular public school. So that's what we did. We looked at every single private school, and and as they transitioned into more heavily regulated environments, we found that they were indeed more likely to identify as less specialized. Yeah, that is a fascinating use of the 
USDOE's private school survey that they do every other year. Uh, so, Corey, what did Lindsay and you discover? Were there any surprising findings? Right. So the most surprising finding was what we expected to see was that as private schools transitioned into a highly regulated voucher program environment, that is in Louisiana, we found that they were about two percentage points less likely to identify as specialized or non-traditional types of schools. So they were less likely to, uh, uh, to highlight their specialized approach to education um, because of their heavy, uh, burdensome regulations. And also in Louisiana, they were about uh, four percentage points more likely to identify as uh, just being a regular type of school. One other statistically significant uh, impact was in D.C., where they found that they were less likely to identify as non-traditional types of schools. But in the most lightly regulated voucher program in Indiana, there was no statistical significance there. Uh, the private schools continued to highlight their specialized approach to education after switching into the voucher program environment. And I'll just add on that point. When we say that Indiana is uh, the most lightly regulated of the three uh, we should add that uh, Indiana does require, there is a testing requirement in place there, as is the case with Louisiana. However, uh, it's um, a pretty common knowledge, I think, within the, the school choice community that many private schools in Indiana were already participating in that state, state assessment in order to be part of the athletics association pool in the state. And so that might not have played in um, to the, um, the way in which these schools respond to the regulations in the same way that it does in Louisiana. Yeah, and I think you brought up a very interesting point that I've looked into a bit, that it's yeah, having these schools that have already been taking these state tests for a decade or more. Yeah, I can understand how they may react differently than schools that are exposed to that for the first time. That's right. That's exactly right. So how does your analysis square with other research and analyses of this topic? Well, um, like I said a minute ago, you know, one of the things that really spurred our research was some of the prior research that had come out. Um, the, you know, first ever randomized control trial evaluations finding negative impacts of an education choice program. I mean, that really ran counter to the, you know, uh, growing body of literature that we have that shows exactly the opposite in every other state in which choice has been introduced and assessed over time. Uh, you know, for the most part, when you're looking state to state, if you're not in Louisiana, uh, the outcomes look great for school choice in terms of improved academic uh, achievement levels, particularly in terms of academic attainment outcomes, that kids who are uh, in choice options are much more likely, all else being equal, to graduate from high school. So this, you know, what really spurred her thinking was, well, this is strange. I mean, this is really an outlier, Louisiana, in the literature. So what is it? Is it this regulatory environment? And so I think that this new research that Corey and I have um, worked on really does add some context to some of these evaluations that have come out more recently, uh, finding negative effects on academic outcomes. Just to add to that a little bit, uh, so Lindsay mentioned earlier that one out of every three private schools participate in the Louisiana Scholarship Program, which is not a lot of schools participating compared to the other uh, voucher program environments, indicating that there's, there's a high cost for participating in the program. Uh, so my colleagues and I, in a, in a previously published uh, article, 
looked at the schools that participated in the Louisiana Scholarship Program compared to those that did not. And we found evidence that the schools that did elect to participate in the program were actually lower quality schools as measured by uh, enrollment uh, patterns and tuition rates. So it could be that the regulation is causing both of these things, causing lower quality schools to participate in the program and a more uh, homogenous supply of schools in Louisiana, which could be leading to those negative experimental results that were found in the first two years. And of course, uh, the theory there as well is that for private schools that were doing really well beforehand, before the voucher program was introduced in Louisiana, the schools that weren't experiencing student attrition, that you know were really uh, doing well financially, that the cost of participating, the regulatory burden just outweighed the benefit of participation for them. And so, as Corey alluded to, the, uh, you know, higher quality, potentially, private schools just sat it out in Louisiana and said, it's just not worth it to us. Whereas the schools that were not on solid financial footing because they had already been experiencing attrition prior to program creation, it was actually worth it to them to incur the regs or at least the benefit exceeded the cost to incur the regulations in order to access um, students who are coming on a scholarship. And so I think it speaks to this unintended consequence of government regulation generally, that yes, you might mean well and you want to ensure there is, I'm doing air quotes, but accountability uh, infused in these options. But, you know, policymakers need to be really, really careful. There are always uh, unintended consequences with government programs and the unintended uh, with government regulations and the unintended consequence here was that it appears at least some of the higher quality schools just said thanks but no thanks and the kids who needed access to those schools the most ultimately were limited limited to a pool of schools that uh, may have been struggling to begin with. Yeah, that makes sense. So critics might say that a little homogenization of schooling options isn't a bad thing if it means all schools are safer, more transparent, and held more accountable to the public. How would you respond to that line of reasoning? Well, I would respond by saying the best way to get those excellent outcomes, as in safe schools that are responsive to the public, is just to have vast and open school choice markets in place in states. Uh, If you really want to ensure school safety increases, academic achievement increases, Um, you know, all of the good benefits that we hope accrue from a quality education, the best way to get there that we have ever come up with as a society is to infuse a little choice and options into the education system. You know, we have a system today that is incredibly homogenized because we have a near monopoly government-run school system that 90% of kids across the country are assigned to. And that has created a situation in which many kids, most kids, cannot access options that work for them or options that are just diverse. Um, We know from lots of research that's out there that parents have myriad desires for what a school will do for their child. And first and foremost, particularly uh, for parents in cities across the country, it's school safety. Is my child accessing a school that is safe? Are they going to come home safe? You know, are they going to get bullied or the fights? Um, so school safety is number one for these families. And then we know that after a few years, if they enter a private school and they know their child is safe, 
then it turns to academics. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, Pat Wolf pointed this out the other day. It's sort of a classic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That of course parents are first and foremost going to look to school safety. Um, so having a you know diverse uh, universe of private schools that are out there ensures that parents can select into options that work for them, whatever need it is that that they need to have met for their child. And to add to that, we need to be able to differentiate between stated intentions of a specific regulation or uh, type of program and what actually happens uh, with the children's outcomes. Uh, again, when you're trying to, when officials are regulating certain programs, what they're doing is trying to limit the number of bad choices or low quality choices for uh, families to choose. Uh, and what actually happens though is we're finding that the quality of the choices or the specialization of those choices is actually lower. Um, and then we're also finding that Louisiana is the first experiment to find negative test score impacts. So these regulations aren't having their, uh, they're, they're not uh, leading to their intended outcomes. Right, so good intentions aren't enough, right? When it comes to policymaking, you know, I think a lot of these regulations are promulgated uh, with good intentions in place, but that's not enough, and particularly when they have, as the research now suggests, some adverse effects on participants and schools, that's really problematic. So we need to ensure that we have the most diverse array of private schools and providers participating in these options, and the way that you do that is to keep the regulations low. Well, speaking of policy making, how should policy makers, those ultimately responsible for enacting regulations, interpret or use your findings? Yeah, well, I, that's a great question. And I think that you know, this isn't clearly the, the end uh, of the story on the, the regulatory front. It's, you know, one of the first uh, forays into trying to kind of quantify the impact of these regulations on schools and the nature of uh, and the structure of private schools that participate. I mean, the fact that they become, in general, less specialized is concerning, right? I mean, the whole point of choice is to provide as many options as possible for as many families as possible. And if we are homogenizing the private school market, if these schools are becoming uh, more generalized due to regulations, that's the problem. And so I think policymakers should look at this evaluation. I think that they should uh, look at the evaluations that come out of Louisiana that are unique in that universe of rigorous school choice studies and, and really ask themselves, uh, you know, if, if they're intent on creating a diverse supply of schooling options, whether government regulations will achieve that goal. And all of the evidence that we have so far, and that evidence is mounting, suggests that government regulations go in exactly the opposite direction, that we will create a situation in which private schools are just regressing to the public school mean, and that's not good for the choice movement, and it's not great for kids across the country who have really, quite frankly, for a century now, been failed by this assignment by zip code government schooling model. And just to add to that, they just need to look at the potential unintended consequences of these regulations. You know, they have noble intentions to limit bad choices, but what they're actually seeing is that they're limiting a lot of good choices as well and could be reducing quality overall and specialization in, uh, overall for the supplier private schools. They just need to, you know, take into consideration that there are costs to these decisions to try to limit bad choices. Yeah, and I'll just add what Corey sparked something else, which is that 
you know, I mean, regulations haven't exactly worked well for the public education system either. And I think that often gets lost in the conversation. I mean, if, if regulations were the answer, our public education system would be doing amazingly well. And it's not. And every year that goes by, more and more regulations are added. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there is a story there in the public school world that should be a cautionary tale for the private school community as well, um, as choice ultimately expands in the years to come. Mm-hmm. So do you think this paper could spur more research in this area? Yeah, so I think more research is needed on looking at what type of regulations are the most costly for individual private schools. And You know, so it would be more beneficial to look at a wide array of different types of programs and variation in types of regulations, and that will be able to uh, allow researchers to uh, determine which specific types of regulations may be more or less costly uh, for voucher programs. I was just talking with Marty Lucan over at EdChoice a couple of days ago, and, for example, Louisiana does not allow parental copay that all that means is that the individual private school needs to accept the voucher amount as full payment, and it doesn't allow parents and families to uh, pay anything out of pocket to make up the difference or or get a private scholarship from a different organization in order to make up the uh, difference. And what happens a lot of the time is the individual private school just say, hey, we can't afford this, and they, they don't participate in the program at all. Um, so Marty Lucan and I are wondering if we can look at tuition levels in different types of programs and see if there's a price-fixing effect of this parental copay type of regulation, which could have uh, negative economic consequences too. So yeah, there's a lot of different types of research that can be done going forward on this. There hasn't been a lot. Uh, I think Lindsay and I's study is one of the first to actually peer into this. Uh, but definitely more research is needed on the topic. Yeah, and and I think uh, the other component of this is the qualitative component, which is actually going in and talking to principals and really learning about what their experiences have been with regulations. And you you learn so much when you just go and talk to some school leaders. So that's something that I'm working on now um, and actually hope to present some findings on that at the uh, forthcoming International School Choice and Reform Conference in January. Yeah. So along those lines, uh, what's next for each of you? Any projects we should keep an eye out for? Yeah. Well, like I said, for me, it's uh, talking to principals. It's really kind of hearing their story up front and figuring out the the regulatory burden that's been levied on them, and you know the extent to which I you know I I think it's important to know what that um, sort of um, breaking point is in terms of regulations where the cost starts to exceed the benefit for school leaders. And so really teasing that out um, through interviews with school leaders uh, is something that I'm, I'm working on moving forward. And for me, uh, I'm doing a lot of work looking at the return on investment for charter schools. Those should be coming out pretty soon within the next month or two. Um, there, we do a national study. I'm doing it with Dr. Wolf and, and other researchers looking at you know, return on on investment uh, around the United States. And then I'm also doing a Michigan-specific one with Ben DeGroo that should be coming out uh, in a few months as well. Um, Other than that, I'm looking at the voting outcomes of the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program. So that one should be pretty interesting uh, when that comes out. And then also 
uh, the effect of private schooling on non-cognitive skills, such as uh, effort on tests or effort on surveys. So do looking out for those. Yeah, those all sound great, and you both sound very busy. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up, is there anything else either of you would like to add? I think that that really covers it. I mean, this is, you know, we, community, parents, kids, we're at such an exciting time uh, in education reform right now, school choice policy, education choice policy. I mean, we really, if you just think about where we were 10 years ago with advancing these education options, we've come such a long way. And that is to the benefit of half a million kids across the country at this point. And so as education choice evolves, as we refine policies, as we think about things like differences between vouchers and tax credits and ESAs and the best path forward, I think we also need to be as cognizant as possible about ensuring that the regulatory burden on participating private schools is as low as possible. Because after all, parents are choosing these schools because they do offer something that is different and distinct from the traditional public education system. And we need to make sure that that remains the case in all the years to come as we continue to see these programs evolve. Yeah, and just, just to add to that, I just add that if we really want to regulate schools in the best way possible, we should take advantage of parents' choices. Yeah. Choice can be considered the future. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us and sharing this interesting study. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. And thanks to our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more of our coverage of new school choice research and education reform policy chats. Thank you for listening, and until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.